Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse B. What's going on? How's it going, Wayne? So excited to be here again. Jam-packed episode, man. Get us yes. going. Huge episode. We got a lot to get to. Before we get to all of that, though, please make sure you are following us on Facebook at Recasted Podcast, on Twitter at Recasted Podcast, and on Instagram at Recasted Podcast 8. We also have a group on Facebook called All Things Movies. Everyone's invited to join. You can also post stuff that you want on there. You can post your own podcast. If you have a podcast, we're cool with all that stuff. I mean, this is just an opportunity to share anything about movies, television, pop culture. Yeah, a wonderful network. I think everybody's trying to be part of some type of cinematic universe or network now. So we'd like to just let all those other podcasts know that, you know, we are friendly. We do not bite, even though Wayne sounds like he does in some of his quips on the podcast. But we are, have a wonderful platform for you guys. So please share. And I know one of our buddies, John Vincent, actually uh, gave us a recommendation for a movie that we will certainly do in the future. Absolutely. We're going to talk about some recommendations in a second. Like I said, we got a lot to get to. The first thing I wanted to get to, though, is a congratulations, begrudgingly, to Jesse, who won 10 votes to two for his cast of The Negotiator. We got 12 votes, and uh, he absolutely pummeled my cast. Very happy about that. It was unfortunately short-lived because I was trying to ride a hot streak there in terms of my confidence. And you came at me with a battle that you had heard elsewhere and you brought it to me. And I was like, oh, goodness, what a joke this is. And that was your The Santa Claus, which is near and dear to my holiday heart, versus Hook, which I laughed off. I said, Wayne, that's a joke. I would take The Santa Claus 12 times out of 10. I said, put it to a poll. I wanted to crush you in another poll. And you ended up crushing me there, my man. Was it set seven to three? Uh, fifty-seven twenty-seven. Yeah, in all platforms. Okay, I was gonna say I saw on Twitter you got like seventy percent, and I got twenty-nine percent, something like that. So I got crushed in that one pretty handedly. So I, I was trying to ride a hot streak, and I ended up coming right back to earth. Yeah, it's a great segue because I've been listening to a lot of different movie podcasts, trying to, you know, like it's, I mentioned a couple episodes ago, we're building our own podcast movie universe thing here going, and one of the ones I started listening to is the best film ever podcast and they're pretty funny they're in england the main cast guy or the main host he's from canada but the rest of them are all british and they were talking about a movie and they mentioned how it's like hook or mrs doubtfire where you have like a nostalgia feeling and that's the only reason you think that it's still good and i took issue with that because obviously i love the movie hook and they talked about the santa claus as well and that's when me and jesse got into this back and forth about the Santa Claus versus Hook. And listen, if you like the Santa Claus, that's totally cool. When Jesse said put it to a poll, I thought, really? Like, you have to know how the general public feels about this. I honestly did not. I, well, I thought they were really going to be by my side, you know, laughing at you. And here here they were kind of putting me in my place. You know, the Santa Claus is definitely my favorite holiday movie. I know a lot of people have other movies up there, including Elf and some more classic ones, but the Santa Claus is, is most near and dear to me. So I was shocked by the results. I was shooketh, but I am back to reality now and uh, ready to uh, talk about more exciting things that we have coming along. Excellent. Well, like I mentioned, we do listen to a lot of podcasts. I do have a few shout outs here. These are people who voted in our last poll about whose cast was better. So if you want to get a shout out on the show, make sure you're voting on these casts. Here are just a few. Walk the Cinema Podcast, Mashley at the Movies, Film Rage Podcast, Three Films in a Podcast, Rank My Movies Podcast, Your Next Favorite Movie Podcast. Not on that list, you notice, the Field of Screens guys. Come on, man. Come on. you got to be voting in these things. Although I think maybe they said they didn't hadn't seen it, and that's why they didn't vote. That's fair. There were actually a few people that said they hadn't seen it, and I know I tried to recommend it to them and say, you know, put this on your personal queue. 
it hadn't been something I'd seen before. So it really was something I enjoyed. And I think other people will as well. Now, I tagged the Film Shake podcast. Their handle on Twitter is at 90s Movies Pod. And we tag them because they follow us on Twitter. And every time we have a vote, I try to tag as many movie podcasts as possible. And they had posted on Twitter or tweeted out that they hate waking up in the morning and finding 27 tweets. And it's because I had tagged them in something and it got all kinds of mentions. And, of course, on Twitter, you get this notification every time somebody comments on a tweet that you're mentioned in. And the fact that I don't really interact with them and I said I apologize to – I reached out to them. I said, listen, I apologize. I never really thought about that. Like we're asking you guys to interact with us and I never really interact with your show. So I wanted to give them a huge shout-out today aside from all the other shout-outs and say, listen, these guys are great. They cover 90s movies. That's kind of our bread and butter. So check them out and listen to their reviews on 90s movies. Yeah, that would certainly be something we hope that uh, you know our fans can do is check them out. And uh, hopefully that podcast that you're mentioning there hears this. We'd like for them to hear this and accept this olive branch that Wayne's extending. In the wake of my defeat in the negotiator, a discussion did come up, and this caused some contention among the hosts here off the set, which was I proposed a budget plan, which would be something similar to if you've ever been on Facebook and they're like, hey, build your team with $15 and like certain players are $5, certain players are $3. I thought we could do something like that where certain actors are so much and actresses are so much. But the problem is, and I understand this. That one, there's millions of actors and actresses. So how are we actually going to assign a dollar value to all of them? Then the other thing was, I know Jesse, because let's just call a spade a spade. Jesse plays with a much bigger budget than I play with. And so this is like instituting a salary cap and he's the Yankees. Yeah, and, and we don't like the sound of that at all. And I really <laughs> love that you brought up the Facebook analogy here, Wayne, because the most recent one that I can remember is a basketball one. And the first comment I saw was from my friend Wayne Gregoire and said, I would I would take four Will Chamberlains. And he wasn't even an option on there. And so that's how I presented to you with the movies is there would be so many options that you wouldn't have categorized or how do you possibly categorize someone? You had approached me with, well, we put movie stars over here and TV stars over here. We designed different budgets. I mean, people are mixing and matching all, all over the place. So I think it would be such an undertaking for you and the show that maybe it would just be easier for either me to temper my budget, which, I mean, 10, 12 movies in so far, I haven't been able to do, or you just step your wallet game up. Play these fantasy books, man. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it'd be such an undertaking that it'd be really hard for you to categorize and to really just have like an Excel spreadsheet for that. I think it'd be so tough for you, Wayne, that... I don't know if it would be more fun for the show or if it would just be you trying to level the playing field, you know, you Tampa Bay Ray. I definitely have a lot of fun with anything mathematical. So I play FIFA and I always try to play with the budget dollars, even though they're not real dollars. I'm like, yeah, I turned $127 million profit this season. <laughs> I, get, I get really proud of like saving money. So when it comes to the baseball analogy, like I said, Jesse's the New York Yankees. I'm like the Oakland A's. I do not like to spend money, even though it's not even real money. <laughs> Billy Bean. Everybody remember what Wayne just said. He doesn't like to spend money when uh, he presents his cast to you today. Right. Although this is a bigger budget movie, which we'll get into. So, yeah, the other thing is Field of Screens. We mentioned them. They just recently did a Dodgeball episode, which I listened to. Not my favorite movie. So it wasn't like my favorite one because I didn't really love Dodgeball. Although it is fairly quotable. I say all the time, nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Suck it, LeFleur. <laughs> I love dodgeball. It's very quotable. I think one of the things that I've heard be said about Ben Stiller is he's never the funniest person in his own movie. And uh, I think it'd be very difficult to uh, you know look at his movies and be like, uh, is he really the best or the funniest in that movie? 
Well, I think he does carry that movie because Vince Vaughn just kind of plays Vince Vaughn. And I think that Ben Stiller's character is so over the top. Like, that's what really kind of carries the film. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the film. I, I do have to listen to this episode from The Boys because, you know, of my attachment to that movie. Their next movie is actually going to be Moneyball. So I gave them a, a huge write-up on that because I love Moneyball. And then I'm also going to be a guest on their show. Uh, we might have talked about it or alluded to it maybe. But I'm going to be a guest on Field of Screens. Kind of – they're doing like a separate type of thing where they're going to be doing like a quiz show. And they're not sure when they're going to release it. But what it is is you know they have the sports guy and the movie guy. And they cover sports movies. So I'm going to be doing a sports quiz against the sports guy and a movie quiz against the movie guy. And we'll see how it goes. Wow. Well, I wish you the best of luck. You better represent us well. I know you will. We just want to keep staying undefeated against the Brits over there. (laughs) And then uh, the Movie Wars podcast. This is another one I've been listening to and trying to get them to join the universe. They recently did The Natural versus Field of Dreams. And two great movies. But I thought the funny thing, and they even alluded to the uh, how ironic it is that their first ever baseball war ended in a tie because they only had eight categories and it ended 4-4. And I'm like, wow. it's, it's baseball. It can't end in a tie. It's 4-4. A ball game can't end in a goddamn tie. No, you got to come up with a ninth category. You got to be a little flexible there, playing as commissioner, and uh, make sure you come out with a winner. Nobody likes a tie. Another show that Jesse turned me on to is Shoot the Flick, which is a husband and wife team that they cover movies, and they're very funny. I I very much enjoy their shows. But I was listening to their Die Hard, and every five minutes I had to stop the episode and message them. I was blowing up their inbox because it started off with the age-old, ridiculous discussion about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which it is not. Okay, listen, in order for it to be a Christmas movie, I understand it takes place during Christmas, but in order for it to be a Christmas movie, Christmas has to push the plot along and Christmas has to be involved in the outcome of the film. Neither of those criteria were met in this film. So just because it takes place during Christmas does not mean it's a Christmas movie. We are a United podcast in that front way, and I definitely agree that it is not a Christmas movie. Um, I, I feel that question a lot. And it's not something that, you know, I usually end up on the, the winning side there. So I'm glad we both can be united in saying that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And then they also mentioned who they would recast as John McClane because there was a lot of names that were thrown around for this role when it first came out. Clint Eastwood initially because he owned the rights to the film. Then he sold the film and they talked about Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, because those guys, of course, are the big action stars of the day. And they ended up going Bruce Willis was like their seventh or eighth choice to play this role, but they wanted somebody who's like an everyman. Like he's not built jacked, you know, and that would take Arnold right out. Yeah, completely out. And so looking at it, I said, you know, my two cents from the recasted podcast, if you guys want it, which they probably didn't because it was unsolicited, (laughs) is I said, I would go with Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead. He plays Rick Grimes. And I think that he would be a very good uh, John McClane. Yeah, everybody, I know you can't see this right now, but I'm wearing my shocked face that Wayne provided somebody from The Walking Dead, which is probably one of his favorite shows of all time now. I actually saw some Walking Dead comics at uh, the Goodwill, Wayne, and I thought of you. Oh, you should have grabbed They're probably worth money. You should have grabbed them. Well, that, and I saw a uh, Still in the Plastic Garth Brooks collection set. I thought about you as well. Ooh, I'm, Garth I'm, I may go back. Oh, yeah, it's in plastic. I know how, how near and dear he is to your heart. Yeah, my favorite <laughs> singer of all time. And I did mention Jesse said that, you know, we got the request from John Vincent on Facebook. He's a friend of the show. And he said, hey, would you guys do Heat? And I said, yeah, we can consider that down the road. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I would have to go back and rewatch it. Plus, it's like an epic, like three-hour movie. So it's going to be a tough watch, kind of like The Godfather. But I think I can make it through. 
Yeah, I've not seen that one at all. So I, I definitely look forward to seeing that when we get the opportunity to put that in our queue. And uh, I know that it's a pretty stacked lineup if you look at the cast and specifically looking at the top. How many movies have De Niro and Pacino done together? Well, they were in The Godfather Part 2, although they didn't interact at all because in The Godfather Part 2, De Niro plays Pacino's dad in flashbacks. So he's they don't interact with each other at all. But they were in that together. I think they were in another movie recently, The Irishman, where they both in that, I think. And anything with Scorsese. If it's got Scorsese, probably Pacino and De Niro are in it. I was going to say the over-under, I'm putting it at six. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'd have to really look into it. But obviously the first thing would be The Godfather Part 2. And I just finished all three Godfathers, by the way. I watched all three of those. If you haven't seen it, you're not missing anything. You know, it's kind of like War and Peace. Like people say, oh, I read War and Peace. The only reason they read it is to say they read it. Yeah. I watched The Godfather just so I could say i seen it. I was going to mention that, Wayne. It was on my uh, three pages of notes here to uh, ask you what you thought of Godfather because you had mentioned that, you know, such an iconic piece and you hadn't seen it. So I wanted to get your take. And it's not anything that changed my life at all. I actually fell asleep the first time I watched it. I, I didn't enjoy it that much. You know, maybe it just wasn't the right time or place, but I really don't find myself finding another seven hours to sit down and watch it again. Oh, it's, it's rough because <laughs> you talk about dialogue-driven movies. This isn't even dialogue-driven. This is just like somebody trying to videotape a storybook because it's based on Mario Puzo's story of The Godfather. But the opening scene is at a wedding. It's at uh, Vito Corleone's daughter's wedding. And the thing is... That scene, the wedding scene, it's like 45 minutes long. You know, I mean, can we push this along? We get it. You got to take requests at the wedding. But come on, let's get on with the story. Yeah, it was way too much. Like I said, nothing I'm going to go back and watch again. That's definitely not a movie I set up to watch with my kids or my, my wife. And then the last bit of shout out or whatever news is going to be the VHS Files podcast had asked us to do The Matrix because that's a movie that they really enjoyed and they wanted to hear. We make requests, people. Listen, like I said, if you follow us on social media and you have a request of a movie you'd like us to do, as long as it fits our parameters, we'll do it. Absolutely. We've done a decent set of movies so far, um, but there are so many more out there. And if it is something that you enjoy that is nostalgic for you, please let us know. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can reach us all on either. I know Wayne is very fast to reply to any of those. And we would love to you know, have more interaction and have more you know, requests for movies. Speaking of The Matrix, have you seen The Matrix Resurrection trailer yet? Watched it about a half hour ago, Wayne. Okay, because I watched it, and I'll be honest, and I like The Matrix movies. I mean, I don't love them, but I like them. And seeing the new trailer, I was like, eh, it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I don't love when movies take, you know, about an eight to ten year break and then come back with some type of sequel or retelling of the story. I never think that that's super successful. After watching this trailer, I'm more excited for this than I was for, you know, either two or three. But this is, kind of gives me like old man Logan vibes, like it's old man Matrix or old man Neo. And uh, also, it's at this point, I think it's so tough for me because there's been, what, three, three and a half of those other movies that Reeves is doing. Um, um, what's the uh, the action packed one that he's doing? I can't believe it's slipping my mind right now. John Yes. Uh, so I, I can't separate those two right now. I can't separate John Wick and The Matrix after seeing this trailer. So looking forward to it. But, you know, it's certainly not going to be as groundbreaking as that first one was. And that's exactly what I thought, too. I said, when did John Wick get in the trailer? That's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe he'll have some John Wick moves. I don't know. <clears throat> but another trailer, you had told me to check out the extended trailer for The Eternals, because I said that the first trailer, I was like, eh, doesn't really do anything. 
And then I watched the second trailer. All right, now we're seeing people fly around, shoot lasers out of their eyes. We're getting to see some action. I was like, okay, now I'm a little bit more in on this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly excited for what the impact of this one's going to be. It's still a bit of a mystery, but star-studded cast for this as well. Marvel usually doesn't miss with the cast. Like I said, that extended trailer gives you a bit more to be excited about. I don't love when a trailer answers too much for you, and so I'm glad that both you and I are going to be going into this with you know more questions to be answered by the film and not by the trailer. Like Spider-Man, I don't really need to see many more trailers for this either. Um, I'd like to just be one and done and go in and have the story be told to me on, on a giant screen. Venom, we've been seeing all kinds of trailers for There Will Be Carnage. They recently showed it some test audiences. Obviously, they had to sign a non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement, so they couldn't reveal anything about the movie or any spoilers. But the one thing that did come out is they said, you have to stay around for the end credit scene. Absolute must. This end credit scene is the most amazing thing. It blows your mind. There were like 20 different comments about the end credit scene, which got me thinking. And then when reports started leaking out about this photo of Tom Hardy wearing a Spider-Man No Way Home hat around public, it got me thinking, what are the chances that this end credit scene has Peter Parker in it? There's certainly a percentage, but I'm not sure it's it's more than 50%. As excited as, as I would love to see that, I'm just not sure that we're not being swerved. I think advertisers of all sorts, including actors, producers, directors, and people that they may want to review the movie or, or get the opportunity to review the movie, they may be hyping it up to be something it may not be. I mean, I don't want to be swerved to expect to see Spider-Man. I think he's already so tied up in what Marvel's doing. I'm just not sure I see a place for it with Venom and Carnage. So I don't want to get my hopes up. I'll give you 50%, Wayne, but I know you're probably leaning a bit higher. Yeah, I definitely hope that that's what the case is. We do know that Sony still owns the rights to Spider-Man, that they will not ever sell him to Marvel because they're making a fortune renting him to Marvel. And so they can put Tom Holland and Peter Parker in any movie that they want because he's technically under their umbrella. Obviously, Spider-Man fans know that the number one villain that you want to see Spider-Man go against is venom that's his ultimate so the idea that we might see peter parker whether it's and i'm not saying like a fight scene or anything like that just maybe tom holland's walking down the street and he bumps into peter and he's like oh sorry mister or something you know something just a little tease you know yeah wayne likes a little bit of teasing you know he wants a little daredevil tease he wants a little venom tease <laughs> he's thirsty boys and girls i want all that stuff to pay off i think that daredevil or what's his real name on the matt, matt murdoch charlie cox matt yeah, Matt Murdock is going to represent Peter Parker in No Way Home as his lawyer because you do see Peter talking to the police and like lawyers. I think Matt Murdock's going to walk in and be like, I'm representing Peter Parker. Uh, you better give your daughter that, that credit there. I remember her being the first to unsolve that mystery. But she also said that we're not going to get to see the red costume Daredevil, and I, I got to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's such a great costume and how that it was designed through the Netflix show. I think they really did a wonderful job of, of building that over time. Another sequel that you had messaged me about, and I had said this has been in production for 30 years, is Twins 2, or Triplets, and they're talking about bringing Tracy Morgan in as the third brother. Initially, it was supposed to be Eddie Murphy, so they had talked about doing a sequel way back when, and Eddie Murphy was going to be the third brother, and that makes sense to me, but the idea that you're going to bring in Tracy Morgan now, like those guys are both 70, and he's like 50, so how are they triplets? Yeah, it just it doesn't seem to fit and it seems way overdue or way past when people would actually desire this. I enjoyed Arnold in his prime. I actually enjoy DeVito. I actually really enjoy him in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I'm just not sure their chemistry would be the same as it was not original. And adding a much younger Tracy into the mix, you're not selling me. 
this is the sad news that we had, obviously, over the past two weeks. Norm MacDonald, one of my favorite comedians of all time, passes away at age 61. Long battle with cancer. Apparently, it was nine or ten years, and he didn't tell anyone about it because he didn't want people going to the shows and cheering for his comedy because he's sick. He wanted them to be cheering because he th- they think he's funny. I always thought he was funny. Very weird sense of humor, and people use dry, but I'm like, it's not even dry. It's just it's weird. Like The stuff that he thinks is funny, and one of the classic bits they talk about on Saturday Night Live, he did Weekend Update. And one of his weekend updates. And in a related story, this week marked the 5,000th performance of the Broadway musical Cats. It also marked the 5,000th time a guy turned to his wife and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> very, very deadpan. He kind of pushes things that you wouldn't think is funny. And he says them with the straightest of faces that it does make you laugh. And he said, I know he set Conan O'Brien off many times in hysterics because of their relationship and how often Norm had been on that show. You know, I enjoyed his performance as the dog and, you know, Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy. But yeah, I'm definitely a, a great comedian in his own right and how he delivered things. I know he actually had a bit on how it wasn't losing a battle to cancer. And he had done this, I think, prior to even being diagnosed with cancer, but it was about a family member being, you know, having it and how he said, you know, losing the battle. Well, when you die, the cancer dies too. Are you really losing the battle or is it more of a draw? He was very deadpan and serious, uh, serious about it then, and um, definitely a funny guy that was lost. Um, I also noticed that under the recasted app on Twitter, you had asked people to you know provide their top four comedians. So I hope we get more interaction there. I know we've seen a couple so far, including my own. I mean, I know we're probably going to see some contention there because not everybody has the same one. I've had contention battles over this when people said, who is your Mount Rushmore of comedians? Because when somebody says that, I take that to be who are the top four, not who are my favorite, but who are the top four. And so I usually build unbiasedly. Well, everyone else builds biasedly. That's usually the way things work when I debate with people. But in this case, I was just saying, who are your four favorites? And I went with my four favorites were Patrice O'Neill, Norm MacDonald, George Carlin, Bill Burr. And uh, Jesse, you had replied, who are your four favorites? Uh, my four favorites are uh, Dave Chappelle, Dane Cook, Mitch Hedberg, and Tom Segura. Actually going to see Dane Cook within the next two months. Hadn't never seen him before, but definitely someone that I grew up loving, someone from the New England area. And, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of George Carlin. He's actually one of my parents' favorites, and he's not someone that I enjoy at all. So I like that you specified favorite this time, because I think favorite versus best is is definitely the point of contention there, because people can give you the best versus their favorite. And it's also hard for people to separate the two. It is. And that's where I've gotten into the arguments, because George Carlin is more of like a teacher. If you listen to his comedy... He's very angry about the way the world is, and he's trying to educate people on what they're not seeing about the world, even though we all do see it. And I've said if it's a Mount Rushmore, George Carlin has to be one of the four greatest comedians of all time. He's so influential. You listen to comedians nowadays, you can't help but notice the Carlin influence in their stand-up material. So I have Carlin. Richard Pryor is one of the best of all time. Uh, Lenny Bruce I have up there. But again, of all of them, George Carlin's the only one that I would say my favorite. But I've gotten to that argument where people are like, no, I don't like George Carlin. I'm like, it doesn't matter whether you like him. Do you think he's one of the best? Yeah, he's definitely very topical. He would talk about just about anything that was going on and, you know, push the envelope like you had mentioned. So um, I just didn't love the extra cursing that seemed to happen as I put on my my favorite rap album. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last section that we have here before we really get into the recasting is we did see this thing come out. This is actually what inspired this whole podcast was it said, if Endgame, the Avengers took place in the 90s, who would the actors be? And they had a list of actors. So if you go to our 
Twitter page right now. You can actually find the image of that I'm referring to here. There, I think there's 25 or so actors on there that play 25 different Avenger roles. And I wanted to run through them with you real quick. There are some that I'm like, okay, I don't love it, but I could let it go. And then there were some that was like, no, this needs to be changed. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on some of these. So starting right off the bat with Captain America, they had Brad Pitt. I think it definitely works. I think he is a good boy, a great looking guy. And if you're looking at the age profile, I'm not sure there is a better representation for Captain America in the 90s. I liked it as well. Thought it was perfectly fine. The next one they had, and we're going, if you're looking at the image, we're going top left to right, and then we're going to go next row left to right. And the next one they had was John Stamos as the Winter Soldier. Again, this was one that initially I was like, well, I don't love it, but eh, okay. And I ended up switching it to Keanu Reeves, who I think that because the Winter Soldier and Captain America are friends, and I feel like Keanu and Brad Pitt both have that kind of California surfer boy thing, they would be friends in real life. So I moved Keanu Reeves to the Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier is definitely someone that I had to change as well. I think John Stamos, um, in my opinion, is really only known as being a, a hunk on TV. That's not the vibes I got from Winter Soldier at all. I needed someone with a bit more mystery, someone with a bit more action in their resume. I like your pick of Reeves there. And I ended up going with Antonio Banderas, someone in the 90s, that just, again, provided me more mystery and action. Someone that I felt could uh, represent Winter Soldier a bit better than John Stamos. Yeah, I like it. And Antonio Banderas, too, not represented on this list. So there were a few actors from the 90s who were pretty big that were not on this list. And maybe we'll touch on those. But the next one was Falcon. And this was the first one that I had a real issue with. It was Falcon. They had Eddie Murphy. And I like Eddie Murphy. And I understand Eddie Murphy's a big deal. But when I think of Falcon, he's a little bit more serious. And Eddie's a little more clowny. What's funny about that is who I switched him to was Will Smith, who had just come off Bad Boys in the 90s. I think Will Smith would be a great Falcon. Yeah, I, I agree. I love that. I didn't pry, so I didn't end up changing that one. I didn't mind Eddie Murphy there, but I can definitely see how Will Smith would provide an upgrade in that category as Falcon. And then we have Scarlet Witch, Alicia Silverstone. I was okay with that one. I actually changed that one. Scarlet Witch, I needed someone a bit darker. Again, Alicia Silverstone gave me like, you know, clueless, like high school vibes. And I didn't love that. So I ended up going with someone again darker and Neve Campbell. Okay. With Hawkeye, we had Christian Slater. And again, this is one I didn't love it, but I was like, eh, it's okay. I'll let it stay. I didn't end up changing that one at all. So not one of the five that I changed. I got four more for you, but that's uh, Hawkeye's not one that I ended up changing. The next one is one I absolutely had to change, and that was Ant-Man Matthew Broderick. I said, uh, absolutely, no thank you. No thank you with Matthew Broderick as Ant-Man. People may not like this one, but I went with Tom Hanks because... I'm thinking this takes place early 90s, so we're thinking he came off of Big, which he played kind of a kiddish, you know, kind of thing there. Then he did Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. He's still pretty young, but I figured Ant-Man can't be a young, young guy. So this is a guy who's like 35-ish, has a kid of his own. So I went with Tom Hanks here. Yeah, definitely one I had to change as well. I don't love the fit of Hanks either. Um, just not quirky enough for me. Maybe I need to rewatch some of those 90s films. I just see him as such a esteemed actor now that it's hard for me to kind of picture him as like a quirky fun guy but i had to take Roderick out there too i think anybody could replace a cardboard box i ended up going with jim carrey i think jim carrey's ant-man would provide the humor and quirkiness that ant-man was able to provide um in his roles whether it be in his own movies or you know the end game movie as well as the ant-man related uh zombie what if episode that we recently saw so i think he definitely provides humor more than just about anyone Iron Man, they had Tom Cruise. Listen, if you listen to the show, you know I'm totally cool with this. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew there was no change in that one. Um, thank goodness for CGI because he fits about half that suit, but definitely not not trying to change that one. I think that was a good fit. 
Spider-Man, Leonardo DiCaprio. Again, I like it. He's a young guy this time. Perfect fit. Yeah, I think if you were to take Tom Holland and kind of find a 90s replacement, it's definitely Leo. So uh, really good pick there. This is the first one that I absolutely loved, and that was Mia Hovovich as Black Widow. Yeah, you think of her roles. Um, again, we you know we're thinking of like '90s representations, those carbon copies, and that's that's Scarlet Witch, that's Scarlett Johansson there. Sorry, not Scarlet Witch, really, but yeah, Scarlett Johansson. Yep. And then we have Black Panther, Denzel. I knew again. This is Jesse's favorite, so gotta love it. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I, I think it's perfect. And the actual like behind the screens ties between uh, Denzel and Chadwick Boseman are huge too. So that's that's great. With Vision, they had Ethan Hawke and. I like Ethan Hawke as an actor, but Vision's a little bit older, I think. And you have to remember that he's going to play the voice of Tony Sue early on. So I thought, who has that nice, soothing voice but was a big 90s star? And I don't think anyone had a better 90s than Kevin Costner. So I went with Kevin Costner as Vision. I did look at him uh, you know, for some roles. Didn't end up pegging him there. Um, so I kept it as is. I didn't mind it. War Machine, Cuba Gooding Jr., cool with that. Right. Uh, I think he's very much like the uh, original actor that played War Machine in the first Iron Man movie. Dolph Lundgren gets the role of Thor here, and I had to really look and see what Dolph Lundgren was doing in the 90s, because I know, obviously, we think of him as the Russian and Rocky. He's the big mountain of a man, so you can Ivan see Drago. him being Thor. Yeah, Ivan Drago. You can see him playing Thor, but I was like, in the 90s, was he? I don't think he did anything in the mid to late 90s, but I think a lot of these actors were really portrayed in the early 90s in the images. So I was like, all right, early 90s, I'll let it slide. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever think of Dolph Lundgren as anything other than Ivan Drago. So big, imposing figure. It definitely works. We then have Hulk David Duchovny. Again, I like this one. He's kind of a nerdy guy. Strikes me as a Mark Ruffalo type. Yeah, no, thank you. I had to take this one right out of here. I'm not a Duchovny fan. Didn't think it was a good fit. So I ended up going with Rob Lowe. I think Rob Lowe uh, in the 90s would have been my, my Mark Ruffalo carbon copy, my Hulk. Doctor Strange, they had Keanu Reeves. Now, obviously, I've already moved Keanu in our list, but I got to say, looking at it on its own, I was like, are we ever going to buy Keanu Reeves as a brain surgeon? I mean, let's be real. No, so, dude. <laughs> so this is where I moved again another cast member. I moved Gary Oldman to Doctor Strange. I think that's a better fit. I like that. Yeah. And what can Gary Oldman do? Nick Fury, they had Keith David, and I don't have anything – against Keith David. You know what's funny is you probably still could use Samuel L. Jackson here because in the 90s he was a big deal. But I switched it to Lawrence Fishburne trying to stick with our rules of not recasting the same person. I like that Fishburne pick a lot. Definitely someone that I'm more familiar with. But I'm not sure how big of a, an actor he was in the 90s. Is he someone that, you know, had that clout? Well, I mean, he was Morpheus. Uh, and then he was in Boys in the Hood, you know. So he was doing stuff. He was pretty active then. Okay. Yeah, then I like to fit. Not something I had swapped, but... Um, again, I like your reasoning for the swap here. Then we have Loki Gary Oldman. Now, I just moved Gary Oldman because, listen, Loki just doesn't fit that Gary Oldman type. And I love Gary Oldman. And like you said, he can do anything. But I moved this to an unrepresented actor. How about Johnny Depp as Loki? <sighs> yeah, I like that. Again, someone who wasn't on the list in the 90s, which is shocking. But, yeah, definitely a great pick there. Uh, someone that gives you darker vibes. Then we went with Thanos. They went with Ron Perlman. I understand he looks kind of like Thanos. He's got that big jaw. Yeah, but I was like, you know what? As an actor in the 90s, we're going to throw Ron Perlman in here. So I switched Ron Perlman with Bruce Willis. I can see it more for the 90s representation. Um, but, you know, the chin alone is what sold me on Perlman. I just moved right along. <laughs> I was like, you just, call, you just colored this guy purple. Another one I really liked, and I don't know if you didn't like this one because you haven't changed a lot yet. So we're getting into the home stretch here. 
I really liked Brendan Fraser as Star Lord because I think of him in the Mummy and that kind of character, and I think that's perfect for the Star Lord. Yeah, love Fraser as well. Didn't end up picking that one. I do have one more for you. I mean, I got mentioned five in total, so I did four in the early going, and I have one more for you here, and I believe it's in the last row. But uh, right, but but yeah, Brendan Fraser really enjoyed um, you know his '90s run. I mean, the Mummy, Tarzan, among other things, and I think um, you know he would definitely fit that vibe. Then we have Gamora, Halle Berry. Fine, I'm fine with that. Yeah. We have Nebula, Demi Moore. Again, I think she's got that raspy voice. Fits there as well. Yeah, and, and I think she also gives off like the. Uh, I think if you're looking at the two sisters, even though they are both kind of physical, you know, one of them gives off like the uh, antisocial or the uh, the tougher vibes, and I think that's Nebula. And Demi Moore gave us a bit of a, a tougher vibe in, in the '90s. And this one, I may have been one of the ones I hated the most, and that is Rocket Raccoon Joe Pesci. And I love Joe Pesci, but come on now. Rocket Raccoon, I switched it to Mel Gibson. I had to swap it as well. It was not going to be Joe Pesci for me. I chose uh, John Leguizamo. My thought of, you know, his, his voice, even though we don't end up seeing the character, but his voice, I think, would have been a good fit as Rocket Raccoon there. So, yeah, Joe Pesci was an easy get out of here. And then we've got Drax, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I didn't, this is one of the ones, I didn't love it, but all right. Yeah, I, I didn't feel the need to, to push on this one. Um, originally, I saw it, and I was like, oh, does he have the comedy? And then I thought, you know, compared to other guys that were that physical, physically imposing, yeah, he could hold his own in, in, in a bit of comedic roles. And then Mantis was the last one, Winona Ryder. Again, I was like, all right, fine. Again, don't love it, but it's fine. I think she looks the part. I think she could definitely do it. And, you know, what she had done in the 90s, was that Beetlejuice? And, or was that 80s? Yeah, Beetlejuice was the 80s, I think, maybe early 90s, but I thought it was the 80s. And then into the 90s, um, I don't know. She did some other stuff. I mean, she's always been kind of like a darker character. Now, let me ask you this. I threw in a bonus one for you. How about Wasp? Because Wasp was not on this list. I went with Cameron Diaz. I think that would definitely be a good fit. I think when you, you look at the fit of, you know, who she'd be, you know, romantically involved in it with, that's a good fit. And definitely a big star in the 90s, uh, someone that was all over the place. So. Uh, definitely good to see her on there. But I think overall, a huge list. Uh, like you mentioned, the original inspiration for the recasted podcast. And it was fun to actually go over it on the show and see, you know, the several swaps that we had made and how we felt we could improve the meme or, or the picture that we saw. So thanks for presenting that to us, Wayne. And uh, I know you had more swaps, but I think overall we did a better job. Yeah, I think we did a much better job than they did. And that said, it is time to get into the show. Are you ready to recast The Rock? Absolutely. I don't want to be on the same page with you anymore. All right, let's do it. Today we are recasting The Rock from 1996. This starred Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, and was directed by Michael Bay. Of course it was. And Michael Bay, as we know, Armageddon, Transformers, 13 Hours. If it's got explosions, it was probably directed by Michael Bay. And yet before this movie, he did Bad Boys, which I love. Prior to Bad Boys, he was directing Meatloaf music videos. I could do anything for Love Wayne, but I won't do that. <laughs> I might because uh, the girl in that uh, video was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a confusing video because I probably would have done just about anything for her. Blank page as far as my, my list that I wouldn't do. 
This movie had a $75 million budget in 2021 dollars. That's a $128 million budget, so very robust. And in the box office, it made $335 million, or in 2021 dollars, $570 million. So what you're saying, Wayne, is I could spend in this movie. Yeah, I think once we agreed not to have a budget, I think I just have to learn to live with some of the A-listers getting thrown into the throwaway roles. Oh, yeah, perfect. And this was the first time for me seeing it, Wayne. I know you like to you know, usually lead into that, but this was the first time I'm seeing it. And originally was pissed off that I did not see Dwayne The Rock Johnson at all in the trailer. But then I kind of learned to live with it, and I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's a fun action movie. Uh, I'll run through the plot here like we usually do. I've got the FBI chemical warfare expert Stanley Goodspeed is sent on an urgent mission with a former British spy, John Patrick Mason, to stop General Francis X. Hummel from launching chemical weapons on Alcatraz Island into San Francisco. General Hummel demands $100 million in war reparations to be paid to the families of slain servicemen who died on covert operations. After their SEAL team is wiped out, Stanley and John deal with the soldiers on their own. The movie's two hours and 16 minutes. You touched on how you liked it. I really, really like this movie. It's just a fun action movie. Typical 90s action with a little bit of comedy sprinkled on top of it. Not a lot. It wasn't an action comedy, but there was a little bit on top. Yeah, and, and I would say, Wayne, maybe controversial, but probably up there with my, one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies. I don't love a lot of his catalog. But this is definitely right up there within the top three after watching it. Absolutely. And the Godfather connection, obviously, Nicholas Coppola. So a lot of people don't like him, and yet he is kind of Hollywood royalty, so he gets away with making bad movies over and over, and nobody's ever going to not give him a role. <laughs> yeah, there's not a movie he won't take. Um, look at some of his 2020 or 2021 releases recently. <laughs> well, that brings us to, I mean, Nicholas Cage is the first guy here, Stanley Goodspeed. I can't remember who goes first this week. Uh, you go ahead, Wayne. I'm, I'm excited to uh, go ahead and uh, pick apart what you have. Sure. So with Stanley Goodspeed, Nicolas Cage, prior to this film, he was trapped in paradise, Valley Girl, leaving Las Vegas, Amos and Andrew with Samuel L. Jackson, Honeymoon in Vegas. He hadn't quite gotten it. This is the first of his, like, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds, um, Con Air, all that stuff. This was the first one. So this is kind of what leads into all of those movies. And I was looking at it. He's kind of nerdy. He's able to fight, you know, but he's not like a fighter. In fact, I think he gets sick the first time he sees a dead person because he's a chemical expert. He's a scientist. So, but he's also not scrawny. So I was like, no Michael Sarah's in this role. He's also got a lot of energy. He's like a hyper nervous, hyper energy kind of guy. I narrowed it down to two people and we'll get into that and almost recast it because I think my almost is actually better than the person I chose, but I needed a big name for the poster. So I went with John Krasinski, who obviously we know 13 hours, Jack Ryan, Leatherheads. And of course he's Jim in the office. He's a little bit bulky, but I think he brings that positive energy to the film like Stanley had. So I think in terms of personality fit, I think he fits well. He just might be a little bit more muscular than what I was going for. All right. Well, first and foremost, but probably not so first, but absolutely foremost, we need to tell the fans here that this episode is a bit different than before because we actually gave each other our, our cast. And so it's not a surprise. And we had some time to really pick at these. And so I really enjoyed that aspect, Wayne. I know we touched on the off air, but I enjoyed having more time to really just soak with these picks and there were some things about your john that i didn't like one being i think krasinski's a bit too old and he doesn't really give me that weird quirky vibe that i think nicholas cage provided but other than that the movies that you listed the military type films um you know jack ryan he really does present everything you want there 
I know that Stanley's newer to what he has to do in this film. He, he definitely works himself in a glass, like he even mentioned. But I don't love the pick. I think because the age, uh, and I think we're going to go over it more, but I think your ages are kind of all over the place. I think he's a bit old, and I don't think he provides enough quirkiness. I think if you're, you're finding a good mix of Jack Ryan and, and Jim from The Office, I think this gets the job done. But it does have me excited to hear who your almost is, because I wasn't in love with this pick at all. Yeah, my almost is a lot better fit. I think you'll like him a lot better. He just he wasn't as big a name, and so that's why I kind of wanted that bigger name on the poster. And I understand with the age thing. I feel like John Krasinski. I think he's forty four or something in that range. But I think he, he can play thirty five. You know, he's in that kind of. And I think Nicholas Cage in this role is kind of in that range as well, in that thirty to thirty five range. I didn't actually look up their ages because I felt like it wasn't that relevant to the film. It's not a high school movie, but I felt like he could kind of do it. It wasn't like I was picking a seventy year old to play. You know. The role. So age wise, I understand the concern there. My biggest concern with him was like the, the bulkiness and the action, the action he has, because I don't think he plays like a scientist. He plays more of an action star than a scientist. Yeah, the excitable, um, you know, nature that I think we see from Cage. Um, he's kind of almost has like a controlled crazy. In uh, the few instances we see him before we see him matched up with John, I, I see just a bit more craziness than I think I see from John. And I agree, um, you know, Krasinski's a bit bulkier, but. Still something that I can see end up fitting. Just we'll see how, how it goes along. My Stanley is actually Adam Driver, someone from Marriage Story recently, someone also from the star, newer Star Wars trilogy that has him portraying Kylo Ren. And I get that kind of like almost aggressive at times, you know, nature. And uh, also I think Adam Driver fits that look as well. He's not he's not a hunk. But uh, again, that age demographic is something that I lean to, not even just for a high school movie, but for something overall that I think, you know, we want to fit, have somebody that fits that part. So I think Adam Driver for me is my Stanley Godspeed. And looking over Adam Driver, I said to myself, I said, all right, I get it. You know, he's kind of scrawny. So he has that scientist kind of vibe to him. He does have the right look. And I agree with that. And he was also a Marine. So we know he can fight in real life. He was a Marine. So, but the thing I felt like with him that I didn't love was I don't feel like he has that hyperactive, positive energy. I feel like he's kind of more of like an emo kind of dark, quiet kind. And so that's where I felt like the, the replacement of Cage again. And that's fine because I think, I mean, if you're remaking the movie, you make it however you want. I just feel like if I'm trying to fit the spirit of the character who is a hyper energy guy, um, I would want somebody with a lot more energy than Driver. Maybe he's been high energy in other movies, but from what I've seen him in, he's been very, like I said, very emo and very quiet. Did you watch that new Star Wars trilogy? I felt like there were a few hyperactive, you know, outbursts. And I mean, yeah, I think they were all kind of maybe negatively charged, but the dude had a lot of negative things going on in his life. But he was definitely had some outbursts and some hyperness to him that I felt like definitely fit the Nicolas Cage vibe to me. Yeah, again, I, I think that he he works. It just again wouldn't be my first choice, obviously, and or my second. We'll get into my second later. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, going from uh, Stanley, we have John Mason, who originally is played by Sean Connery. Rest in peace. Just recently passed, but what a legendary actor he was. I felt he did an awesome job in this movie, and I think we're gonna uh, kind of get into it here um, after I tell you about who I picked. But did you hear any rumors or conspiracy theories about this being a rumored last Bond film for Sean Connery? No, I mean I can see it because obviously he plays an MI6 guy who gets captured. But I and as soon as he starts working with the other side, what does he request? Is a sharp suit and uh, you know a shower, you know a, a trim. I want a sweet shower, shave. The feel of a suit. So I think there are some conspiracies out there. So I ended up kind of tying that in and also going with someone that I, 
I had to find the right age gap. Maybe I'm not going to focus so much on age range for these actors, but the age gap, I felt like it was important. I went with Pierce Brosnan to go with my Adam Driver. Pierce Brosnan has those 007 vibes, just like Sean Connery. The name's Bond. James Bond. Vodka Martini. Shaken. It's not stirred. Okay. Yeah, and Pierce Brosnan was actually on my list of when I was making my initial list I go off of. Because, like you said, I mean, prior to this movie, I mean, listen, Sean Connery is a legend. You know, he was in Robin Hood. He was in James Bond, Hunt for October, Highlander, The Untouchables. You know, just fantastic resume. The things that I looked at, I wanted an actor who was north of 50 because, again, he's been in prison for a little while. I know Sean Connery, I think, was like probably 65, 70 in this role, but I felt like he didn't have to be 65 or 70. He could be 50. That's plenty. He's older than my Goodspeed character, so that that was fine. And then an action star, take no prisoners. Remember, he's the one that's killing everybody. You know, Goodspeed kind of gets into it towards the end, but, you know, Sean Connery's the one doing all the killing. So it's got to be like an action-type role. And then I said, ideally British, Scottish, or Welsh, because he is playing an MI6 character who was captured. So Paris Brosnan, I think, fits a lot of that there. He is uh, age-wise, too, and even look-wise. Now he's got the white beard. He kind of looks like Mason. So I think that's a great pick. Like I said, he was on my list. I just shown a little bit of bias. I went with Idris Elba, who I'd recasted as Kanish in Rounders, who is a British actor, who is north of 50, who is an action guy. We saw him in Hobbs and Shaw. And is rumored to be the next James Bond. So, again, keeping that Bond connection there, I think that Idris Elba, who those who don't know, you should know, but he was Heimdall and Thor. He was in the Dark Tower, Hobbs and Shaw. He was, I think, Bloodsport in Suicide Squad. And Pacific Rim, The Office, because going back to that Office connection, he was in there for a few episodes. But that's my guy. I went with Idris Elba as being more the action to my gym type role. Oh, well, first off, I got to say the Krasinski Elba chemistry on The Office was so bad. Which is perfect. That's perfect. I hated it. So my next point of contention with this is just the age gap. I mean, Krasinski's 44. Elba's like 51, maybe. So it's just it's too close for me. Um, You know, I I think they made a big deal about the guy being in jail for 30 years uh, or prison for 30 years, cutting his hair and making him look pretty. I mean, you can see the long grain, you know, locks, the big beard. And I just I, I, I don't picture... Idris Elba being in there for three decades for something he did at what sixteen. So it's just it's, it's it's tough for me to buy the gap between the two after watching the original. I think that that dynamic really meant a lot to their chemistry throughout the film and how they saw things differently and how they handled things differently. And so that was my biggest point of contention was just the fact there's such a small age gap. It really is like a seven to eight year age gap. So I didn't love it. I do love the Bond vibes. I, I like that we both went with someone that had either future or past. James Bond ties. So I really did enjoy that. Um, when you first presented this to me, I saw it. My first thought was, oh my goodness, Wayne would cast this, Wayne would cast Idris Elba in just about anything. You know, if we did a, a film about Ocean's 12 or whatever one had all the female cast, he would find a way to fit him in there. Such a wonderful actor, definitely physically imposing and intimidating. But I think when you see him, I mean, other than, you know, that first initial look of him being dragged out with the long hair, looking like a, a scary prisoner. Other than that, he doesn't really give off that, like, physically imposing vibe. As far as John Mason, I, I guess if I were to kind of tear them, I think he's he's too strong, too big. And, and the age gap is just, it's, it's really uncomfortable for me because I, I think it has to be a bit different. When you think about him being in there for 30 years, it's hard for me to buy at first glance when. Okay. And again, my picture him being brought out too, he probably looked like Heimdall with a long... Like maybe gray hair. But yeah, getting into uh, General Frank Hummel was originally played by Ed Harris, who did a great job. Ed Harris is so good. 
Mr. Director, you have a very serious problem. A battery of VX gas rockets is presently deployed to deliver a highly lethal strike on the population of the San Francisco Bay Area. I will call again at 100 hours to state my demands. I want to know who I'm talking to. This is Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel, United States Marine Corps from Alcatraz. Out. And prior to this movie, he was in Nixon, Just Cause, Needful Things, The Firm, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He's got a pretty good resume. Obviously, we know after this, he went on to, I think, Apollo 13 and Pollock and Radio and did a bunch of other stuff as well. But looking at his character, I said, you know, he's very serious. No smiles, no laughs, no sarcasm. He's there to do a job. And he's also a little bit on the crazy side because obviously he's going to launch chemical weapons towards San Francisco, which – Again, not spoiler-free show. He doesn't at the end. He can't bring himself to do it because the reality is he's a good guy. He's trying to get money for people who died that the military didn't pay their families. You know, So he's not necessarily an evil person. He just has an evil plan, which is really a bluff, we find out at the end. And I also have here he's hardcore military. He's got to be close to 60, maybe even over 60 because he's a general. I mean you can't get to general at 35. You know, you, It's a position that it takes a long time to get to. So I went with Bruce Willis here, obviously Die Hard, The Siege, Pulp Fiction. I don't think I really need to say who Bruce Willis is, you know, but Bruce Willis is going to be my general Hummel. I think he plays that perfect kind of crazy, you know, general type. Yeah, I really like the Bruce Willis pick, Wayne. I think my only gripe with it is he's, he's a little quippy. I think in just about every movie I see with Bruce Willis, there's a few parts where I'm going to laugh. And I don't think Ed Harris gave you any reason to laugh in this movie. But beyond that, I think the leadership qualities that Bruce Willis shows in just about every movie he has, whether it be police or military aspects, he has all those things, all those boxes checked. So love the pick of Bruce Willis. I think age-wise, he's definitely up there. And, uh, you know, like I said, needs to needs to have earned his stripes. He has a change of heart in the end. You know, he I don't know if he has a change of heart, but he never really could fully go through with it, um, which I think I was on the edge of my seat. I didn't know he was going to end up changing the coordinates there. Uh, so I was happy to see he did. And uh, I liked this pick by you, Wayne. I've, one of my favorites by you. Mine here, I went with Damian Lewis. He is someone who um, people um, will know from Band of Brothers. Um, he's also in Homeland, which I think are the two main references that I pulled from in Homeland. He plays someone who's actually turned by uh, the other side in the war and comes over to be um, kind of a double agent. And, uh, you know, he definitely has those military ties there based on that filmography. And I think not quite the age of Bruce Willis or, you know, Ed Harris. So we have a bit more hair than both of them in his representation. But I think overall, he's going to give off that very serious tone, the serious vibes that I think are necessary for the film. And I will say that when I you sent over your cast, and this is one of the things I loved about us being able to look at the casts ahead of time. My initial reaction was, ugh, I don't like this pick, right? Because I love Damian Lewis in Billions. I've mentioned Billions a bunch of times. I love that show. He plays Bobby Axelrod. So initially looking at the pick, I was like, I don't like it. I think he's too young. We talk about age. And like I said, if you're a general, you got to be a lot older. He probably plays into that 50-ish range. And so he's going to be a young general. I'm not saying he can't get there, but he's going to be a young general. I knew he was in Band of Brothers. I'd known about Homeland. But again, what this opportunity did to get the list ahead of time is give me a chance to go into YouTube kind of really deep dive into some of these videos and I watched some of the Homeland clips. I really went back and watched some Billions clips is what did it for me because like I said, I really like him in Billions. Capitalism harnesses that better than any other economic model on earth. Everything we have is because of capitalism because someone had an incentive to get up off his ass to out invent, to out earn, yes, and to subjugate others. Less capable, less intelligent, Less ambitious, less lucky. 
to make those capitalistic dreams come true. And after watching the clips and seeing the intensity that he can bring to a role, because he can be very intense, I said, I went from not liking it to actually liking this pick. I think the only things that I would knock on it, one, obviously age, as a general, he's a little bit young, and he's not that physically imposing, but neither is Ed Harris. You know, Ed Harris intimidates with his personality, and I think that Damien Harris, based on the clips I watched, could do that. So this is where having those cast ahead of time, I went from yuck to, all right, I kind of like this pick. Yeah, a bit of change of heart. That was definitely my favorite aspect of seeing these, was being able to kind of really do deep dives on all of them. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, Ed Harris, he really didn't do his talking with his muscles. He, he intimidated based on his, his seriousness and his rank. Tom Baxter is played by David Morse, who we just recasted in uh, <laughs> yeah, The Negotiator. And he plays pretty much the same kind of character, which is just a big, muscular guy. I said he got typecast last episode. This is the kind of role he always plays. Uh, he's Prior to this, he's in 12 Monkeys, The Langoliers, The Getaway, The Good Son, The Indian Runner. This is kind of the beginning of him getting into some bigger budget movies. But he always plays that kind of guy. And in fact, I listed here another no-nonsense military guy. 40-ish, buff, intimidating, right? I mean, this is a guy, he's the right-hand man to the general. Like, you don't mess with the general unless you want to mess with him first. And so, which eventually turns in the end when he decides not to launch the missiles. But I said, all right, I want somebody who's going to have those things. I went with Joel Kinnaman, not a big name, but neither is David Morse at the time. Joel Kinnaman was RoboCop in the reboot in 2014. He is Colonel Rick Flagg in the Suicide Squad. He's Will Conway in House of Cards, Stephen Holder in 44 episodes of The Killing. He's about six foot two. He reminds me of like an all-American G.I. Joe type. And so I felt like that was the perfect kind of Baxter role. Yeah, I didn't get dark enough vibes um, from Joel Kinnaman, but everything else checks those boxes. He's a big physical guy, someone that certainly has either war or physicality, something like that on his resume. So I liked everything else, but I didn't really get like the dark vibes. And I think every time I see Beck, I kind of wonder if he's playing the good side or the bad side. But uh, other than that, I really love everything that Joel you know, provides. Definitely a, uh, a more physical uh, vibe. Let me tell you, when I first saw the name come by and you sent me that text, it must have been because I was so uh, groggy. I read Joel McHale and I started to laugh. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that I woke up a bit because <laughs> I was like, not a good fit, Wayne, not a good fit. Going to tear this up. I reread it and then did some research. So um, another one of yours that I, I don't have a lot of gripes with at all. I really like um, the way he shapes out and uh, can play it. Just wish he was a bit darker. And uh, so my major Tom Baxter, someone that I'm curious to see how familiar we're with her, uh, with him. It's uh, Pablo Schreiber. Uh, he is the half-brother of Lee Schreiber. And uh, he's been in uh, several things. He was in uh, Law & Order SVU, a, like a four-episode kind of thing where he played a, a bad dude and uh, actually kidnapped Olivia Benson. So that was my first introduction to him. But he's also on a show that my girlfriend's got me into, Orange is the New Black. He's a uh, correctional officer named Porn Stash that rocks the stash. And uh, he's in Den of Thieves, who plays uh, a bit of a crooked military or police officer there. So I get a lot of those vibes from him. And uh, this one, I tried to go, um, you know, not as huge, but I think, you know, his body fits it. And I think his resume fits it as well. So I really liked what Pablo Schreiber gave me. So when I first saw this, I didn't know him by name. I knew the last name. I know Lee Schreiber, obviously. But I didn't recognize the name, and then I started doing my research, another great opportunity to dig in. He was in 13 Hours with John Krasinski. He was one of the Marines there. He was in Halo, but I recognize him from American Gods. He plays Mad Sweeney, who is a leprechaun in the American Gods, and he's fantastic. He's my favorite, probably my favorite character in the show. I was a king once. Okay. 
I was. Then they made me a bird. Then Mother Church came along and turned us all into saints and trolls and fairies. So what's the appeal? What's Wednesday selling at this God Fest? You gotta get a ticket. War. Here's the thing, is, is going through and watching a bunch of clips with Pablo Shriver and getting the look of him. I'm going to tell you what I have in my notes under your pick. I have Jesse's pick. This is what I have. Love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> this is fantastic. This is my favorite one that you did. This is I love Pablo Shriver here. Absolutely fantastic, 100% perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm glad because he was almost my almost, um, but I ended up moving him right into that starting lineup role, and I thought that he would have provided a really nice representation of that dirty, maybe clean military officer. So glad that you liked it. So next here, we have another person that we uh, can recognize from The Negotiator. This actor was in that movie as well, and um, he plays FBI Director Womack here. Someone that, you know, I don't trust or like the entire film. Um, you know, he seems to always be up John Mason's ass and trying to do the dirty thing or trying to just really use him in probably a way that a lot of law, you know, needs to do to kind of get the right answers or to get the, the right thing done as they need to say or do certain things. But I didn't like him. I, I'm probably going to come right out and say this is the one I'm, I think you're going to have the most problems with. But I went with Kevin Bacon here. I think I've seen him in Hollow Man. I've seen him in X-Men, um, one of their iterations, because they have so, so many. But he actually won an award for uh, the villain in that movie, uh, the X-Men. So I think that was X-Men First Class. I see Kevin Bacon right now being, you know, that right age um, to be, you know, the FBI director. And I think he could certainly give me some bad guy vibes. Yeah. So Kevin Bacon is one that I didn't like initially. And I had to go through and see what he's done recently because I do know he looks the part now. But everything I've seen him in, he's always likable. Even in Hollow Man where he's kind of the bad guy, even in X-Men, I feel like there's some sort of likable vibe that comes off of him even as the bad guy so i was like well this guy isn't likable he's a douche you know so i was like i don't know if i buy that but then i started watching some clips kevin bacon's in a show called city on a hill and he's kind of like a police officer fbi agent in that he's got the mustache goatee whatever it is the white grayish hair and he plays such a douchebag in the show like he's completely and so watching that i said nope i get it I think that he's perfect in this role. If he can play that type of character, that's exactly what FBI Director Womack is. It's just, you, you hate him from the jump. I can hear it now. The eulogies, the hymns, the bagpipes, everyone forgetting what a lousy piece of shit you were your entire life. <laughs> your wife's going to be upset for about five minutes. He's dead. I know, and I will eventually but this should be a comfort to both of us there's no hell there's only this life right here right now is, is that a recent program because it's not something that I've, I've actually even seen on, on uh you know, when i was looking into his stuff i mean I, I probably would have drawn from that but i'm glad that something that i didn't even provide to you as inspiration you, you drew from and like the pick yeah, I've never seen the show on television nor seen it advertised, but when I was going through YouTube, they said Kevin Bacon's City on a Hill. I was like, what's this? And I watched kind of a preview for the show, and then I wanted to try to find clips from the show. I'm like, okay, because I got a glimpse. I want to see more Kevin Bacon from that show, and he completely pulls it off. Okay, well, that's awesome. Glad that there were some hidden gems out there that helped me kind of pull this off, and I'll, I may have to look into that. You know, I, I don't mind me some Kevin Bacon, all six degrees of them. <laughs> which I'm an expert at that. I call it the three degrees with me because I, I crush that game. 
Oh, um, we're going to play that game at some point then, Wayne. We'll play it. Yeah, we will have to do that. <laughs> um, so with director Will Mackey was played by John Spencer. As you mentioned, he was in The Negotiator. Prior to this film, I didn't know. So he passed away. He was only 58 years old. Uh, he died in 2005. Which surprised me because I thought he was about 70 in this role in 1996. So I wanted somebody who was, you know, 60 or older, right? Somebody with white hair who kind of looks like they've been in the FBI for a long time. They're bitter, right? And there's kind of an asshole. I mean, when, when he has, you know, Mason sign the paperwork and then he rips it up behind the mirror, I was like, what a piece of crap. So I thought, who plays a better piece of crap than Christopher McDonald? And I went with Christopher McDonald in this role. Who we know from Ballers, he plays the Cowboys owner, which is perfect because he seems like a douchey Jerry Jones type. Uh, he's Principal Bernigan in Lemonade Mouth, if you like those teenage type movies. Ross Hogg in the TV Dukes of Hazard, But obviously, he's Shooter McGavin. I mean, if you guys, everyone knows who Shooter McGavin is. And he just plays that. Every movie he's in, he plays the douche. He never plays a good guy. Don't turn your back on me. Let's get one thing straight. This is Shooter's tour. I've worked hard my whole life, paid my dues, and now it's Shooter's turn. And Shooter's not about to let his reign at the top be spoiled by some freak sideshow clown. Yeah, uh, probably right up there with some of my favorite picks from you, Wayne. I, I loved this gentleman. I couldn't have told you his real name. You showed me his face, and I, I know that is Shooter McGavin. So definitely a douchey character, a douchey profile. And I think uh, he did a wonderful job of encompassing everything that Director Womack did, which is being a douchey dude. And when you when you talk about that scene where Womack, you know, kind of rips up that paper, what happened shortly after... Is, right. you know, Mason uses, what was it, a quarter or something? Yeah, the quarter that he was told to use to call his lawyer. He uses that to cut a big circle in the glass and then smash through it. You know, Mason, I should have known. Uh, it, was, it was perfect. Obviously, I butchered Connor's accent there, but it was perfect. The next one we got is Agent Paxton, William Forsyth, who I love William Forsyth. I think I recasted him in something fairly recently. But he was in the substitute virtuosity untouchables tv show he played al capone in the untouchables tv show he was an out for justice as jimmy we saw him in daredevil one episode as dutton he gets his uh comeuppance in that but he always to me kind of plays almost like a mafioso type even here as like an fbi agent i get like a very mafioso kind of vibe from him like an italian you know hey what's I'm, going on guys how can you not remember what you recasted him in it was it was good fellas <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, they're perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I think he's absolutely perfect in is that kind of role. He's just th that type. And so I put here serious FBI sidekick, mafioso feel, good guy, not okay with deceiving Mason. So he didn't like that. In fact, I like at the very end when he's like, where's Mason? And Nicolas Cage goes, oh, he got evaporated. Congratulations, Dr. Goodspeed. You did it. Thank you, sir. You know, for a while there, I didn't think you were going to make it. Well done, son. So where's Mason? Vaporized. Blown out to sea. Blown out to sea, huh? Yeah. Poor bastard. So I kind of liked his character, and I think this is where we're going to have a disparity when we talk about age, right? Is when I see this character, I just thought a much older character, and I went with Ray Liotta. I mean, obviously, Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, uh, Unlawful Entry. So he's got that perfect look i think slicked back hair kind of whitish gray and just that mafioso feel is what i was going for yeah wayne always has the financial gripe and i think this episode is going to be my age gripe i just 
Um, when you look at William Forsythe, and you may not believe it, but, you know, he's like in his 30s playing this role. Doesn't look it, but he's in his 30s. And so for you to pick someone that's, what, 66? Uh, Something just, like that, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it seems a bit up there. But um, like a lot of your picks, they absolutely fit the profile of what they needed to. Um, you know, going back to Bruce Willis, you know, and again with William, um, you know, the new representation of William Forsythe there is Ray Liotta. They have everything they need in their resume to fit this role, whether it be cop or military drama. I just, I hate the age, but beyond that, he provides everything he needs to. I've seen him play good cop and bad cop. So I like the pick, not one of the ones I love, but I like the pick and uh, I'm not going to fight you too hard on the age um, because I'm over here overspending everywhere I can. <laughs> um, and speaking of overspending, this is where you saw me, you know, dip back in my Marvel bucket and I grabbed me someone that I felt fit the age a bit better. He's probably in his, you know, forties here, mid to late forties. And that's Jeremy Renner. I think Jeremy Renner in this role would have been really nice. And I think he would have played a nice bit of intermediary between, you know, the good guys and the actual bad guy being Womack. Yeah, I, I agree. And so obviously Jeremy Renner was in the town. He's Hawkeye, Mission Impossible, right? He's got a pretty good resume himself. The two notes I really had about this pick on my paperwork here, one is I had I wrote has similar qualities. So right off the bat, I think that he is the perfect kind of fit. But then you nailed it. In quotations and underlined with an exclamation point, I put budget. <laughs> so again, grabbing a, a you know a fifteen to twenty million dollar guy here for like our seventh role or sixth role that we're casting. But otherwise, I think in terms of personality, I think you hit it right on the head. And this is Jeremy Renner would be the perfect agent Paxson. I, I win in fantasy football and I win in fantasy movies because it's not my money. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like both our picks. I just, the obvious age difference there. But William Forsythe looked like he could be playing 50s too. So um, definitely a lot of some more flexibility there. And uh, you're going to go ahead and give us that next one. Yeah, all right. So we got Carla, who, again, this is played by Vanessa Marcel. This is her first movie. We're getting into those last two roles, which we like to call throwaway roles now, where we can just kind of flex and put anybody we want in there that we just like. And so I looked at her and I said, obviously, she's in her 30s. She's pretty. She was the prom queen. Great line in that movie. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. And the person I went with was Piper Perabo. Now, she's 44 in real life. She still looks great. She was in The Prestige. She was in Angel Has Fallen. And she was probably most famous for being Coyote Ugly. She was Violet. She was the main character in that. But just pretty. I think she looks like she would actually be engaged to John Krasinski in real life. So that's why I went with her. I love the connection between those two. I think that it definitely works. Um, you know, you pull off believable chemistry there. I stick to thinking that, you know, she makes a pretty big deal about being pregnant in the movie um, and your gal here looks like she's closer to being a grandmother um, as far as, you know, looking at her age, a, a good looking gal for sure. And again, I love the dynamic between her and John. So no complaints there. We didn't really need to find any superstars here. So for mine, I ended up going with someone um, named Sarah Highland, most notably from Modern Family. The uh, young lady that was originally cast in here is most notable from actually doing soap operas. My mom saw it when we were watching The Rock and goes, oh, she's done years and years on General Hospital. She's married this person and that person. So she's kind of like a really hot floozy. But Sarah Highland, I see, is a really attractive young lady. She's married to the host of uh, The Bachelor. And I think she'd do well enough here, a, a young, new enough actress. 
Yeah, looking at her, and I know it's a throwaway role, and I don't like to crap on throwaway roles in general because they are throwaway roles, but I was like, are we recasting The Rock or she's out of your league? Because there's no way Adam Driver's getting Sarah Hyland. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that was really my only uh, contention with it. Otherwise, she's pretty. That, that's all the role requires is just pretty girl, and she fits that mold. Can you really believe that Nicolas Cage gets with any of the females in his movies? I mean, he he did car stuff with Angelina Jolie, and I don't think there's anybody that believes that that's going down. Yeah, but she's a little crazy. I mean, in real life, she was married to Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> oh, I know. She carried around like a little vial of like her brother's blood or something. It was definitely <laughs> – she. she's a weirdo, but she's a smoke show. I don't know if Nicolas Cage is actually pulling anyone's heart. <laughs> um, and I think you, uh, you wrap us up with our second throwaway role here, right? I do. And, uh, yeah, what a term throwaway. But, yeah, Commander Anderson here, a.k.a. the guy from The Terminator. <laughs> he, he didn't last too, too long. Again, spoiler alert. He doesn't have a ton of dialogue, um, but he really seems aggressive. He seems like a go-getter. He's definitely on the good side. He wants his men saved. And he definitely seems younger. I mean, even though he's a commander, he seems a bit younger to me. And so that's where I felt comfortable kind of breaking my own age rule here, I think, in the end. And I went with Max Lloyd-Jones. And the the one thing I really know him from is he played him and uh, Mark Hamill, kind of. They, they joined forces together to play the young representation of Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian finale, Mandalorian 2. So he's done that. He's also done, you know, some other newer stuff, but he's definitely a newer actor. But I saw someone who, um, you know, looks the part, um, someone who's, you know, in his early 30s and looks like he could be a commander that goes pretty quick. Yeah. So he was Officer James in Adventures in Babysitting, the new TV version. He was uh, in War for Planet of the Apes. I think he plays one of the apes. His name is Blue Eyes in that. Yes. And yes. so, but looking over this role, I think, yeah, my one gripe on it, he's been in one episode of everything on television. And my one gripe was really just the age, like you said, because we are talking about a commander or a captain, and he looks more like a private or like a sergeant. Like he's very young. I just can't believe him being promoted to that leadership role so early. But again, we're in the throwaway, so whoever you want to put in there, I mean, it's fine. He, he at least he didn't pick somebody like Jonah Hill, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Not every movie. Next movie, right. <laughs> he'll be by Neo. Uh, so my throwaway was uh, a guy who was in Army of the Dead. He played Vanderho or Vandero. He played Sergeant Marcus Williams in Kick-Ass. So that was the kind of like her godfather or like her dad's friend, Nicholas Cage's friend. It's a nice little connection there. And that's Omari Hardwick. I just think, again, he looks like a soldier. He looks the right age to be a captain. Throwaway role. That's all you really need to hit. Loved him in Army of the Dead. You know, that movie with Batista, that was uh, Netflix's pretty big hit about zombies. And I think he's definitely physically imposing and provides more of that appropriate age to be a commander in the military. So I think you did a great job there of picking somebody who is physically intimidating and someone that fits the bill, someone who's definitely spent time um, you know, doing what they need to do um, in the Army to earn that role as commander. And then that kind of wraps up our cast. we got a few. I, I mean, I have three almost. I don't know if you had any almost. I do have a, a couple. Um, so I can start from the top here. Um, um, if I was going to go with Adam Driver for my Stanley. I was going to go with Kyle Gallner. He is the lead in a show called Outsiders, and he's also on CSI New York. So definitely not as big of a name. I uh, needed a huge name to kind of frontline this movie. So that's why I went with Adam Driver, someone who I, who I felt had a bit more behind his name. And uh, my almost for uh, John Mason, if I was going to go with Pierce Brosnan, I was going to provide you Liam Neeson. I just I got very good vibes from both those guys. And I think the 007 ties just really ended up selling me. If I wasn't going to go um, with uh, Pablo Schreiber for the Tom Baxter, I was going to go with John Manganiello. He is married to uh, Sofia Vergara. 
definitely a big physically imposing guy. And he was, I think he was Deathstroke. Let me see. Um, yeah, Deathstroke in the, what's the Justice League movie. So the Zack Snyder one. So uh, definitely a physically imposing dude and someone who has some military ties there. If I wasn't going to go with Kevin Bacon as the uh, director of Womack, I was going to go with Sean Bean. Uh, a lot of people know him from uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, Game of Thrones, also Henry VIII. So big actor there. Uh, I think that wraps up my almost. Yeah, Joe Mangello was also Flash in the first Spider-Man movie. Remember, he, tried, he tries to, not the Flash, but he was Flash, whatever his name is, in Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. He goes to punch him and he like, remember there's a like, slow motion spin around and he punches oh, the locker yes. and said. The Sam Raimi one, yes. Yep. Yeah, that was a young version of him. But yeah, he's okay. a big jack guy. Uh, like I said, I only had three. Uh, I'll start with director Womack. I had Don Johnson. I thought would have been a good director Womack there. I just saw him in Knives Out. And I thought, oh, he's kind of, and he, he was obviously a douchebag in Tin Cup. So he's kind of playing those roles now. I thought that'd be good to put him in there. Right. And then uh, Major Baxter, I had Jeremy Renner was one of the ones I thought about. I just felt like Jeremy Renner is a little bit smaller. I wanted somebody a little bit taller and more imposing. Right. And then last, I mentioned it. This is the guy who I really wanted for Stanley Goodspeed, but I just felt he wasn't a big enough name to put on the poster. And that's Aaron Taylor Johnson from Kick-Ass, and he was also uh, Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. I think that he would be the perfect Stanley Goodspeed. I mean, actually, way more than John Krasinski. But again, we're trying to put out a poster here, get fans to come watch it. Nobody's coming to watch an Aaron Taylor Johnson movie. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, character, personality fit definitely hits it better. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing that held you back, and I think would have held me back on him as well, was, you know, the notoriety. You got to have someone that's going to pull. And I think Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery are your big names here. And, you know, you, you want to have someone who pulls you, your eyes to the poster. And, you know, Quicksilver, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, not someone that would have done that just yet, but I think he's a good actor and definitely would have been a great fit. Nice job overall. Um, I think there were some ones that we didn't like and some that we liked. And I think, what this allowed us to be able to look at the cast, you know, beforehand was a lot less of the, I don't know him or I don't, I don't like him or I do like him. So it gave us more dialogue and more to talk to. And um, I hope that uh, fans enjoyed this as much as we did. Yeah, for sure. I think that's been my favorite thing. Two things. One, obviously, because sometimes we'll talk and even if I do know the actor, like you'll say, Oh, I picked this person. There's part of me that like says, Oh, I can see that. But deep down, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. So this gave me a couple of days to really think like, how do I feel about this pick? And then, like I said, when I had that initial bad reaction, my whole thing was like I wasn't going to try to find anybody that I liked and then say I don't like it. But I was trying to find the people that I don't like that you casted and say give me a reason to like them. And I was going to try to find those clips. And like I said, the Damian Lewis one, like I said, which I hated initially and then loved at the end. And then, of course, my favorite. I think since we've done Recasted 2.0, uh, Pablo Schreiber is my favorite recasting choice that you've done in all the movies. So him and Jonah Hill are now up on that mantle. Yeah, I guess they're the Hall of Fame. <laughs> wow, I like that. So they're they're my Mount Rushmore. They're my favorite and my best. Uh, callback, folks. But yeah, next episode, I think we have planned because of the ties within our movie podcast universe is going to be The Matrix. Uh, that's why you had mentioned that trailer uh, recently. So I'm um, excited to kind of get that one going in the next couple of weeks, too. I like how we've been going by weekly, just giving us time, some, some more build up for the fans and some more time to, you know, for me to kick your ass and votes. All right. Well, we'll see how this one goes. Again, we've had a little bit more time to think about it. And uh, again, follow us on social media at Recast a Podcast on Facebook, at Recast a Podcast on Twitter, at Recast a Podcast 8 on Instagram. Join all things movies and talk about anything you want. It's free to post for anybody who joins the group, but definitely on Twitter or anywhere. If you guys have a movie you want us to recast, as long as it's at least 20 years old and it doesn't have a lot of child actors or teen actors, we're down. 
Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to continue to uh, be your favorite 90s movies podcast. That's all, folks.